Thank you for listening to the Patrick Ely podcast. As always, it's for entertainment purposes only. It is not financial or medical advice. I've got a couple interesting questions about health to answer from listeners and health clients, nutrition clients. The first is, if I eat animal testicles, say bull testicles, will it increase my testosterone like the liver king has claimed? Short answer is no. It's important to realize about the liver king that because he lied about how he was creating his physique, everything that he has said plays a part in it has been lied about. It's unscientific to think that a human body can reach the size, mass, leanness that his is without using exogenous chemicals like steroids. And that's what he told people. If you think about it, there's an example of what he's done about most of the things that he pitches. He makes unrealistic claims that uh, aren't bound in any way to science. So he has sold people on taking a whole bunch of organ supplements as a way to make yourself look better and feel better. Organ supplements aren't bad for you. There is nutrition in liver and heart and spleen and testicles, but they aren't gonna do anything that's a miracle. What they're providing is protein, fat, vitamins, and minerals. The same thing you get from taking vitamins and eating meat and taking fish oil. Eating liver isn't going to be as comprehensive as supplementing as far as getting those vitamins, and there are easier ways to get protein, but the stuff does have nutritional content. But here's the thing. Eating liver doesn't make your liver stronger. Eating testicles doesn't make your testicles stronger. And this is actually something that sounds ridiculous in this context, but is a misnomer by the general population when it comes to nutrition and the government, the FDA, has confused people and perpetuated these misunderstandings. For instance, eating fat doesn't make you fat. We have this make-believe image of the things that get put in our mouth get placed somewhere in our body. And what really happens, for instance, when you eat fat, dietary fat, is it gets broken down into its chemical components while it's in your stomach. I'm oversimplifying a little, but this is plenty technical. From there, the fats themselves, the lipids, get unpackaged, broken apart, and transported around your body through the lymph system. This is only not true when it comes to medium-chain triglycerides. As these components of the dietary fat move around your lymph system, they are used for various things like joint maintenance, brain health, creating energy, ATP, and then certain components, depending on what the rest of your diet and activity is like, might get stored in a human fat cell. The human fat cells, though, are not fat like you picture in dietary fat. What they are is their storage chambers for fats, lipids, waxes, and sterols. I say fats in conjunction with lipids because there are some uh, detours from a traditional lipid that might wind up stored in your body. But what we think as, of as our body fat is a storage container for stuff we might use later. And it isn't just dietary fat. Like I said, it's uh, waxes and sterols as well. In a similar vein, we've been miseducated to have this image of dietary cholesterol, thinking egg yolk, as cholesterol that we eat and then goes directly to line our veins and arteries as plaque, atherosclerosis. 
And the reality is, is a specific kind of cholesterol is made by the human body, typically with carbohydrates, to do that function. And the dietary cholesterol that we eat is broken down into sterol components to make hormones. And that's why things like testosterone are called steroid hormones. The reason that we think of performance-enhancing drugs as steroids is they are usually a form of a natural hormone that we would put in our body. The liver king, I've seen him saying this, has gone on records record of saying you eat bull testicles and it's scientifically shown to increase your testosterone and in fact your body can use the testosterone in those nuts. And that's not true at all. In fact, this has been studied. Testosterone in your body is something that's created by signals to the brain. Your pituitary gland dictates testosterone production. And most of what you eat has no ability to enter the brain. There's this thing called the blood-brain barrier that is really specific about what it allows to pass through. If you eat testosterone orally, it never makes it through your digestive system. It doesn't go anywhere. It just gets broken down, basically destroyed, and passed through your body, through the liver and the kidneys. You pee and poop it out. So when you eat bull nuts, you're eating some fat and some protein that gets broken down like all of the rest of the fat and protein that you eat, along with a couple of vitamins and minerals, not much of either one. And then your body uses those components for different different functions in the body. But there is no comparison or ratio of this pretend testosterone contained in the nuts translating to testosterone that your body can use. The way you increase your testosterone is by doing things that send signals to your brain to make more testosterone then creating the window to do that, which is generally when you're asleep. So you want to make sure you get a lot of sleep. And you want to have the building blocks to make that testosterone. Like I mentioned, testosterone is a steroid hormone. So you want to have enough dietary cholesterol. If you're a vegan, an actual vegan, not a vegetarian, it's going to be very hard for you to have adequate hormones. And in addition to enough cholesterol, you're going to want to make sure that you have adequate protein. Not tons of protein, not eating a gram for every pound of body weight like a bodybuilder, but adequate protein. And the reason that that's usually a factor is that most of the things you do to increase testosterone, like resistance training, tax your musculoskeletal system, your muscles, and you need protein to repair that stuff. If your body's in a state of disrepair, if you're overtrained or malnutritioned, you'll actually increase stress hormones like cortisol and estrogen that will basically tell your body to be sedentary and not do stuff. Because the less you do, the less you can damage your body further. And if you just rest, you might have a chance to repair your body. Now, the next question is sort of related. It is, if my macros are correct, they're talking about macronutrients, protein, fat, and carbohydrates. If my macros are correct, can I get ripped and muscular? If your macros are correct, you can maintain a 
non-problematic physique, meaning you won't be so obese that you are causing yourself to get sick prematurely or increase your chances of life-threatening disease. And you won't waste away into nothing. Without proper diet, you cannot achieve a ripped muscular physique, but diet is only one component of that. You have to do some other things. So if you want to be ripped and muscular, you've got to do some resistance training, and that could be doing manual labor, that could be lifting weights, that could be grappling, a lot of different things. It doesn't have to be bench presses in a weight room. And you also need to do stuff to burn body fat. You need to do the right combination of those activities such that your body isn't burning thousands and thousands of calories a day and trying to get rid of the muscle you have to be lighter so it can do that work that you're doing, doing a lot of cardio or whatever. And pushing yourself hard enough to get into a fat burning zone. So if you're just taking a leisurely stroll, you're going to have a hard time burning a lot of body fat. Now, most people don't want to be super ripped and lean and muscular. Most people want to have good shape to them. They want to be somewhat muscular and they want to have some shadows of abs or a couple of abs visible. They don't want veins popping out of their abs. And if you want to look that way, you could probably get away with just walking. And you might be able to get away with not really doing a lot of resistance training. But you don't want to focus all of your efforts in dialing in the number of grams you have of protein and fat and carbohydrates each day if you're not going to also dial in the type of exercise and rest that you do. There is no magic diet. Your body is going to reflect the true lifestyle and work stimulus that you put into it. Over time, it's cumulative. The next question I got is related to recovery. And to me, the most important part of recovery is sleeping and taking days off from heavy resistance training. The birds are really active right now. I'm sitting outside in the orchard. And this question I received is, I have a torn ACL. Will sauna repair this ACL? The short answer is no. There are no miracle cures. If you have a partially torn ACL, over time your body might be able to heal it, especially with the right stimulus and nutrition and rest. Notice a pattern here? 
With that said, it depends on the degree of the tear. If it's mostly torn, then more than likely, as you continue using your knee, it's going to continue to get injured. It's going to get worse and worse. Now, if you have a complete tear, probability-wise, let's say 99%, there's a 99% chance that it's going to have to be surgically reattached to heal or replaced surgically. If you are one of those lucky people who magically has an ACL or an LCL or a PCL or an MCL repair itself and it is genuinely fully torn like that's been seen on MRI imaging, then you can attribute that to your genetics no matter what you've done. If that happened for you, don't go around telling people that kettlebell training or the ice bath or sauna repaired your fully torn ACL because that's going to give people unrealistic expectations and that's not really why it healed on its own. You were just one of that less than 1% that has DNA that's able to figure that out. Now for everybody else, the ice bath and the sauna are going to cause, unless you're doing them to excess, positive immune responses. Your body's going to adapt to stress and increase healing chemicals within your body. Some of those are steroid hormones like testosterone, growth hormone, and others are immunoglobins and immune factors, basically anti-inflammatory shit. It can help with your recovery of stuff that isn't damaged. Your body, short of surgery, is the only thing that can heal damage, not something you do to it. So if you're getting in a hot sauna, you're doing something to your body. And that might help your body along, but it's your body, your innate intelligence, your brain, and the chemicals that your body produces and releases that actually repair that tissue. If you're doing everything right, including getting surgery, then hot and cold exposure can be helpful. It's kind of like vitamin D. Vitamin D is this interesting hormone in the form of D3 cholecalciferol that makes all of your other hormones function better, lets you optimize the hormones you have circulating in your body. And you can think of hot and cold as similar to that. It can make everything work better. It can give you mental clarity. It can help with your recovery. But it isn't a replacement. For instance, if you don't sleep and consequently don't get good hormone releases, you're still going to end up with the same problems no matter how much you sauna or cold plunge. There's no free lunch. You still have to do these essential things. And one thing that as a society, and maybe it's something that we've always done as humans and developed civilizations, but we have this thought of more, more, more things I can buy, things I can do are the things that will change our health state. But we have to give credit to the human body and its natural cycles, including sleep cycles. It has to rest to recover. And it has to be quality rest. And the most quality rest is sleep.
the last question is what is the highest quality protein that I can eat? In a laboratory, the highest quality proteins you can eat would be eggs and whey protein. And practically speaking, the highest quality protein you can eat is red meat. Now for most of us day to day, it doesn't matter the kind of protein that you eat. You just need to eat enough of it. If you don't eat meat and you eat plant-based, you're going to absorb a much lower percentage of the protein that you consume. Your body will be able to use much less of it, so you got to eat more. And if you do eat meat, pretty much all meat, animal product, eggs, fish, organs, all of that stuff works great. Just eat enough of it. And don't over consume it to the point that it's taxing your kidneys to break down all that protein and creating a bunch of inflammation in your body. Sugar isn't the only thing that you can eat too much of. As a general rule with nutrition, it isn't about eating the exact right product, the exact right form of food. It's about eating the general category of food in correct amounts. That'd be like macronutrients. Day after day after day, it's cumulative. Eating steak one day is not going to make that big of a difference in your life if the rest of the time you're eating bad sources of protein or not enough protein. If you are a competitive athlete, you know, chances are you'll talk to a nutritionist like myself at some point, and you can get really dialed in with stuff. But in my experience, that only really makes a difference with high-level athletes who are doing everything else right. What I see in everyone else, or what I should say in people that I work with or people in my world, is most of those people who fail will eat some of the right things, but they'll also continue to have bad lifestyle choices. They'll continue to party too much. They'll continue to not exercise enough. They'll continue to not do enough cardiovascular exercise and they'll just stay fat. And no matter what other changes they make underneath of that, they still don't look good and they still don't change to the, you know, the third party absorb, uh, observer. Nothing bothers me more than a person who wants people to hire them to coach them and they prey on people who have body dysmorphia or who are in really, really bad shape or really depressed. And they continue to be fat and flaunt their physique uh, online talking about how that's goals and how someone should listen to them. I get off my soapbox now and that's the end of the questions and I want to talk markets and economics for just a second 
interesting anecdote from the last few weeks. BuzzFeed cut 20% of its employees as it plans to replace them with a derivative of ChatGPT. They're going to have AI write their articles. And the stock price doubled on this news because they were cutting their overhead and going to be much more efficient. And as someone who has been a copywriter, I will tell you that ChatGPT writes more than competently as far as copywriting goes. A lot of copywriting is very poor writing and the structure of copywriting is not set up for good writing. There isn't enough time in the day to write for eight hours and make that be anything quality. Good writing takes a lot longer than that. Whether that means long periods of no writing until inspiration hits or consistent writing that involves lots and lots of editing. Something else I found interesting was the jobs report came out last week. And we have the lowest unemployment since 1969. And this was championed by Biden as this great thing. But it's a sad thing to me because more people are working than ever before since 1969. And that probably means more people are working in America than ever before. I imagine the population is bigger than it was in 1969. And yet people still can't afford to have the basic necessities. Because what this jobs report number, the specific hand-picked number doesn't tell you is that these people employed are often having to work more than one job or simply aren't able to make ends meet in the job that they have. They're working, but it isn't enough to pay for their family or themselves. And that's sad that in such a great economy relative to the rest of the world and such a great country relative to the rest of the world we can't pay people enough for them to live a respectable existence i'm not talking about anything fancy i'm talking about a small apartment and a used car and cheap food bought at discount stores people can't even afford that quite often and I'm not saying that we should pay everyone a wage that allows them to live a nice quality of life. I don't know what our wages should be. I don't know what should be done with the minimum wage. It would just be nice if we figured out a way for people who want to work hard, but maybe aren't smart enough to rise to the top of a business or start their own business. To have an okay life, to feel good about the hard work that they do put in. I'd like to see that change. And I've had a bunch of jobs, including being a copywriter, that even as I did them, I would be like, this job is worthless. This is stupid. I'm not actually contributing to anything. This work is disposable. The products that are being sold are disposable. The eyes that read this are disposable. And I don't feel good about it. It would be nice if more jobs that we had in this country actually contributed to something that could raise someone's well-being or self-esteem and improve the face of society. And I'm hoping that this AI stuff, including ChatGPT, long game, results in clearing out a lot of the busy work that no satisfaction can be gained from and no contribution is really happening from 
and we can create more jobs of substance for people. Maybe that means a universal basic income for people who can't have jobs of substance. Maybe that means there are just plenty to go around. But it would be nice if people who work hard could feel good about their work. I see no sign that our economy is actually turning around. And I personally think the stock market has further to go down. I feel the same way about the real estate market. We'll see how that all plays out. I don't know at this point, the stock market is really a reflection of our economy. So much of our stock market is smoke and mirrors and derivatives that it's an excellent vehicle for people to extract money and to speculate and invest. But it, the stock price of a company doesn't really reflect how strong that company really is on American soil. I think that driving through a neighborhood, through a major city, or going in a store like a Walmart is much more reflective of how society is doing at this point than what the number on the S&P 500 says. Now, speaking of smoke and mirrors, throughout January, there was the Republican Speaker of the House deal. And then once that got figured out and the Republicans selected somebody, McCarthy, I believe, some councils need to be, needed to be appointed. And one of those was the Israel Council, how we deal with Israel and the Israel-Palestine relations. And Ilan Omar was removed from the, the Israel Council. And that was significant because she was one of the only defenders of Palestine. Now, they also, the Democrats also had this coming because they had done a bunch of backhanded shit removing people from committees when they were in power, and they screwed over the Republicans. So the Republicans have said outright before all this happened that this was payback in an exchange, and hopefully everyone learns their lesson. It also is probably inconsequential because the majority of government tends to get their way. So one person on a council might be able to raise some hell, but they're probably not going to change our Israel relations. In an active theater, when this happened, AOC stepped in front of her elected, her fellow elected officials, and she gave an impassioned speech about how this was just an attack on minority women. And she broke into full African-American preacher. And this was just very funny to me because it's a perfect example of what the movement of wokeness is ultimately doing to itself. You put parameters on what people can say and think to the point that no one can do it right and you're eventually going to be guilty yourself. AOC has spoken out about culture vultures and 
people taking over people's heritages and being insensitive to other races. And here she is impersonating a black person. Not only impersonating a black person, but making shit up and pretending that she is so passionate about the wrong that's been done that it's parody because what happened was not about minority women. It was an eye for an eye. As someone that is a great source of hope for people, Democrats, younger folks, women, you know, AOC has a lot of potential to help people and reform the government. But what she's seemed to do since she's been in power is fall in line and be part of big government. And she kind of showed her hand here by showing how passionate she can be about fake stuff. Meanwhile, she isn't trying to shut down wars. She's become quite pro-war. She isn't trying to make New York City more affordable. Minorities are moving out of New York, especially African-Americans at a record pace because they can't afford to live there. Goes back to the job reports. And it's really hard to know what her real intentions are. I agree and disagree with some of the things that she champions, but it's really hard to support a person that isn't transparent about what they believe. And it's really confusing to know what AOC truly believes and will truly fight for at this point. I'd like to see her become more of a force of honesty, even if it's on the opposition to what I think. The same as people who are Republicans, because I don't identify as a Republican. And I would just like to see people have a little bit more credibility in their stances and their words. One last thought. I was driving to the coast this weekend and I drove through a whole town, I'm not gonna name it, but the town seemed to be built around healthcare businesses for profit. And just to remind you, hospitals are for profit businesses. We always think of hospitals being about doing good and they do do a lot of good, but they're financially incentivized to provide a lot of care that's expensive. And I wonder what happened to the days of some people just not going to the doctor. We've made medicine into such an industry that we will convince anyone and everybody that they need lots and lots of medical care and that they need it to be specialized and that they need to pay a lot for it. What happened to the guys that would go till they were 50 years old before going to the doctor and show up before, you know, when it was already too late and get on a statin but still end up having a heart attack and dying at 57. I guess it's a good thing that maybe we have less of those folks, although we probably have just as many. They're just like undocumented people or people without any health care insurance. But I have to wonder, are people happier spending their life in a doctor's office 
or just ignoring the inevitable. Kind of joking here, this is the satire part. But lots and lots of sick care businesses doesn't translate to a healthy nation or good health care. I have to imagine that if we had a more nationalized or socialized or universal health care system that was actually focused on keeping profits, well, negligible or non-existent, but also focusing on the cheapest way to get people healthy or address their sickness. But that would just be a lot better situation for everybody. It would be a lot cheaper. Since right now we've incentivized healthcare to be as expensive as possible for everyone involved. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you soon.